Well, we are in our Kingdom Come series, and I'm going to deliver this sermon today, and then one more sermon next week regarding Kingdom Come, and then we'll be moving into other areas of uh, topics for us in this year. Well, we've been looking at Christ's words as he teaches us to pray, and I encourage you, if you're a note taker in your service guide, there's an opportunity to take some notes, and I always encourage you to do so. But we've been looking at his words in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, where he says, pray then like this. He's teaching us. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And what we see here is Christ teaching us to mature in our relationship with our Father. In that, throughout history, God made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, the father of Israel. And so he, he makes a covenant with Abraham that ultimately extends to all of the children of Abraham. And, and that's an incredible inheritance that is received. But we, we see that as generations go by, Israel has a tendency to kind of ignore the value of that relationship. And we see God repeatedly having Israel, the ones that he's called, say to him, you know what, I think we're going to do this without you for a little while. And, and we watch God as, as he would with, as any parent rather would with any petulant child. He, we see God putting them in a timeout periodically. Now, my father didn't believe in timeouts. He, he applied the hand of righteousness to the seat of learning and... and he did it with some sense of intentional intentionality. And so we kind of straightened up. But today we, we have a timeout system. And that's kind of what you see God doing on a national level with Israel. As they turn their eyes away from him and he allows them to go into captivity to different nations. On a personal level, we say go in the corner, put your face in the, to the wall and think about what you've done. On a national level, God says... I'm going to take you as a nation, I'm going to put your face to a wall, and I'm going to tell you, think about what you've done. And then every time Israel cried out to God and said, hey, deliver us, sorry for what we did, sorry for our bad behavior, God took them again out of captivity and made them strong once again. You see this happening time after time. But that's in the Old Testament or under the Old Covenant. Under the New Covenant, here in the New Testament, or, or Testament slash Covenant could be either word, synonymous terms. He's, he's saying to us, at this point, I want you to invite me to be part of your world. I'm not going to impose it there. I'm going to ask you to invite me into your world. And it's kind of like watching any child uh, develop and mature. You find that the child, when they are young, they have no choice but to be in the father's house. They have no choice but to have the father's interaction in their life. My kids certainly have not. But the day is coming whenever they're going to move out of my house and they're going to have their own homes. And if one day they're out at work and they decide, you know, it's time for them to come home. And so they come home that day and, and their door is open and they walk through the open door and they look in their living room. And there I sit in their recliner in their living room. Though I am their father, they can call the police and have me arrested for breaking and entering. And I can say, well, no, 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 officer, you don't understand. That's my son. I'm their father. And the officer will very rightfully say, do you own this home? 
At which point I will have to honestly say no, and then if they wanted to, they could put me in handcuffs and lead me away. Because I have violated the privacy and the sanctity of someone else's house, though they be my son. That is a maturing relationship. In, in the relationship that we have with God, throughout Israel's history, God said, I'm going to be in your world, like it or not. In the New Testament covenant, he says, invite me to be in your world because you want me there. So we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's us asking him to be in our world. And we've learned many things about the kingdom of God. And if you haven't been able to be here and join us for each one of these lessons, I would encourage you to go on YouTube or Facebook or iTunes and, and get the audio or video of the services. And I believe that they will bless you. But last week we learned that all kingdoms function relative to the kingdom of heaven, meaning that the, the laws of heaven and heaven itself either allows the laws of nature and of kingdoms of this earth, or it has designed the laws of nature, the kingdoms of this earth. And then we discovered that sometimes God just overrules, heaven overrules certain laws. How many are thankful that God has overruled the law of the dominion of darkness in your life? If you're saved today, then the domain of darkness has no authority in your life whatsoever. And I say praise God for that. Amen. But we also know that believers are not exempt from all laws. The natural laws still are in effect. And kingdom, the kingdoms of this earth, their laws are in effect. So today, if you take off from church and you go 100 miles down McCord Road and the, the officer pulls you over, then he will have or she will have every right to give you a ticket because you are subject to that. If April 15th comes along and you decide you're just not going to pay your taxes, then there will be repercussions for that decision because you are not exempt from that. We could really grow a church fast if by joining this church you were exempt from all taxation. It doesn't work that way, not in the least. So if these laws are designed by God, natural laws, so people get sick, people die, etc., etc., natural law at work, if that is how natural law works and God's designed natural law, and if God has allowed the kingdoms of this world to implement their laws, then why do we spend time like we just did a moment ago praying and asking God to do something other than what the law would seem to allow? If it's appointed unto man once to die and something is going to kill us at some point, whether it be an accident or a disease or simply our bodies stop working, why do we ask God to heal? And if, if, if natural law says that if you invest wisely and you steward your resources well, then your resources will increase... But every one of us knows that we've made bad choices with our resources at times. So why do we ask God to bless us, even if we're not deserving by natural law of these blessings? Why do we ask God to do something outside of what natural law or the laws in effect would allow? And here's the big idea for us today. If you're a note taker, take, write this down. The big idea is this. When the law is against you, appeal to a higher authority. When the law is against you, appeal to a higher authority. Now, I'm, it, when we're talking about the law here, I'm not talking about a representative of the law. 
meaning a police officer, a sheriff, or something of that nature. I'm talking about the concept of the law, the governing uh, rules of our society and of our culture, written and unwritten. Each one of these things are uh, part of our world, part of our life. And so we're not saying that if a police officer pulls you over, you, I don't suggest that you uh, have an argument with that officer. If you're in, you know, in a governmental building, I don't encourage you to have an, an argument with the person that you're working with. But I would say this, don't accept a no from someone without the authority to tell you yes. Don't allow yourself to walk through this world accepting no's from people who couldn't tell you yes if they wanted to. For instance, if you are on the phone with somebody and you're saying uh, my bill should be $50, but you are charging me $100 for it, and the person there says, well, sorry, that's just what it is, the question to ask is, do you have the ability to lower my bill if you choose to? And if their answer is no, then ask to speak to someone who could make that decision. You go high enough up the chain, eventually somebody's going to be able to adjust that bill for you if they choose to do so. Why accept a no from somebody who doesn't have the ability to tell you yes? But the question then becomes, who is higher than the law? If the law is, this is how it is, who has the ability to supersede the law? Well, the one who can supersede the law is the one who establishes the law's authority. Where does the law get its ability to be imposed upon you, upon me, upon society? In our culture, we have the presidency and the Congress and the Supreme Court. And those three entities together come together to form, uh, to form and govern our nation, form laws and govern our nation. In a kingdom... The king makes the laws. In a kingdom, the king signs the laws into being. And while while there may be many who have the title of king, all kings are not equal. In fact, last week we said that all kingdoms function relative to the kingdom of heaven. So heaven is the highest authority. And if heaven is the highest authority, authority, then the kingdom of heaven, or the king of heaven rather, is the highest authority within the highest authority. And that's why there is no higher authority than that which is the king of heaven. And it agrees with scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where the Bible says, For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, only Almighty God, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He can never die, so his reign never comes to an end. And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. He is the ultimate authority. The Almighty God who Christ reveals is the King of kings and Lord of Lords. Anyone with the title King in this world, he supersedes that title. Anyone with the title Lord in this world, or otherwise, God supersedes that authority. He is the highest authority in heaven, hell, and on earth. And that brings us to thought number one, that when we pray, 
We're praying to the one who can supersede the law. The king can suspend the law without breaking the law. The king can suspend the law without breaking the law. In the day of kingdoms, where we're talking kings, queens, and courts, and so on and so forth, the king would sometimes need to do or desire to accomplish a goal that the law in its original state or its natural state would not allow. Either it didn't address it or it didn't go far enough. And so the king would issue a decree. A decree allowed the king's will to be accomplished for a time and for a purpose. It didn't last forever, and it was for a particular point or purpose. We see this two times in Scripture that we'll point to today that uh, are very, very intense times and very extreme times. The first in the, in the, during the birth of Moses, the time of Moses' birth, you have Pharaoh. He's very upset about the strength that the Israelites are gaining, even though they are slaves in the nation of Egypt. And so he's upset about it. And he says, I've got a way to start taking away their power. He says to the midwives of Egypt, when an Israeli woman has a child, if it's a girl baby, let it live. If it's a boy baby, kill it. Now, At no other time would this have been allowed in the nation of Egypt. The law did not allow for this to occur. And had midwives done this at any other point, they would have been punished. But Pharaoh decreed that for this time, this is what was going to happen. You see it again in the life or the birth of Jesus, where Jesus is born and Herod, the king at that time, He had heard about the prophecy saying that there would be a king born that would rule over the Jews. Herod has a tiny little problem with this because he's the king over the Jews and he wants his son to be the next king over the Jews. And so he says, what we'll do is we'll kill every male child two years old or younger and we will wipe out the possibility of this new lineage coming to power. So he says to everyone, That's what we're going to do. Now, this wasn't normal. This wasn't typical situations. And it wasn't nice. It wasn't good. God delivers Israel from Egypt and it ends the decree of Pharaoh because it's no longer enforceable. But Herod, once the two-year-old and younger boys were gone, Herod said, okay, we can stop now. We're not going to continue this forever. I just wanted to get rid of that child, whoever it may be, not knowing that God already had a plan. So this decree went out for a time and for a purpose. And once the purpose was accomplished, the normal law remained in force. And that brings us to thought number two, that the king of kings has all authority. Now we have talked about two situations in the Old Testament, and one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. And it was where a natural king gave a decree over a natural or kingdom situation of the earth. But when we talk about the king of kings, he has authority even outside of natural law or or kingdom law within this earth. And so he set nature into motion. He set the universe into its natural spin. He designed natural law. And he allowed humanity self-governance. 
He said, yeah, you can make your own decisions for yourself if that's what you want to do. But God has never relinquished absolute authority. And that's important for us to remember. He's he's never walked away from his authority over the earth. And in time, he is going to reassert his will. There will be a time when God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, with or without humanity's choice. But until then, he is not an absent father. In fact, scripture says that he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. So he's not an absent father. He's not saying, well, get along without me. He is a help in time of trouble. And at times, God will issue a divine decree to accomplish his will. There'll be something arise where God will say natural law or human kingdom, human rule will not allow this to happen, but we need it to happen. And so I'm going to decree a thing into being. It's what we see happen in the book of Joshua, chapter number 10. Joshua is, is fighting the battle with the Amorites, and, and the day is ending, it's becoming dark, and, but the battle is not over, and so Joshua begins to call out to God. And he says, let the sun stand still over Gibeon, and the moon over the valley, valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stayed in place, until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. That's pretty awesome. That's a pretty big deal. Natural law said the day is done, now night comes. Joshua cries out to the king, saying, listen, if you'll give me just a little more time. And the king says, I decree. Now, we do not have consistent 48-hour days. He changed it in that moment. But that's not standard natural law. In fact, Joshua 10, 14, same chapter says, there has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought, to, fought for Israel that day. This is a unique, unique moment. Natural law was still in place, but a decree suspended it for just a moment. You have that in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we've talked about the story of Lazarus where Jesus hears that Lazarus has died. He comes to the tomb of Lazarus and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is bound in grave clothes. And so he, he comes out and I picture him kind of bouncing along like this. He had extremely developed calf muscles. And, and, and he, he comes out of there and Jesus says, unwrap him and let him go. And so they do, they unwrap him, they loose him, and they let him go, and, and Lazarus continues to live, and, and, and the, the king of kings suspends natural law. He says, I decree that Lazarus will live, and so Lazarus does live, but natural law isn't completely removed from the life of Lazarus because he died again. He's not alive physically today, though he is alive spiritually today. Old Testament, New Testament, but is there any example of it being here today? Years ago, my father used to t told a story, and I don't remember how many times he told it, but it was enough to where I, I remembered it. And it was a story of a gentleman by the name of Robert Mitchell who pastored down in Houston, Texas. 
I didn't remember that it was uh, Robert Mitchell who pastored in Houston, Texas. I just remembered the story as I was thinking about this and praying through this sermon and, and saying, God, how, how do I share and what should I share in this moment? And so, and so I called my dad. I said, I want to fact check this because I don't want to tell people stuff that's not true. So can I fact check this with you? And, and I, I said, do you remember that story? And he said, yeah, I remember that story. I just, I, I, and we started kind of talking back and forth trying to figure out who it was. And he said, I think his name was Mitchell might have been Bob or Robert Mitchell. And so I started looking up Pastor Robert Mitchell and I found an obituary for a Pastor Robert Mitchell who pastored down in Houston, Texas uh, a number of years ago who had passed away uh, earlier in 2000s. And um, as I looked at that, I, I thought, well, maybe this is the guy. So I called my dad again. I read him the obituary. He said, yeah, I think that's him. Well, in the obituary, it said that he was uh, instrumental in founding a particular church in the Houston area. So I Googled that church and I thought, well, I'll, I'll try to see if I can find a family member or a friend, somebody who might have known him to be able and fact check this story. So when I did, I was shocked to find out that the pastor of that church happens to be a friend of mine. We're connected on Facebook. We're connected with the whole, you know, we're tight if we're on Facebook. And so the, uh, and, and so we here, we, I was like, wow, that that's really cool. Uh, and so I, I messaged him real quick and said, hey, Chase, his name is Pastor Chase Austin. Pastor's a great church there in Houston. I said, hey, Pastor Chase, are you, um, I'm, I'm reading the obituary of a Robert Mitchell who pastored in the area. Uh, it says that he was instrumental in, in founding the church that you pastor. And I was just curious if you knew him and if you know the story of him traveling to Africa or not. And if you don't, can you put me in contact? Maybe you know a family member or a friend who might know the story. And he, he messaged me right back and he said, he said, uh, yeah, I, he was instrumental in founding our church, and I know him quite well. He's my grandfather. I've heard that story my entire life. And I said, well, I'm fact-checking this story. That's pretty awesome. I'm fact-checking the story. Uh, would you mind, you know, letting me know what's real, what, you know, if I remember it correctly? He said, I will, but let me talk to my grandmother, who's still living. She knows it better than I do. So he ended up writing me a, a, an email with the whole story in it. And, and I'll just give you the pieces of it here. Years ago, Pastor Robert Mitchell felt in his spirit that he needed to go to Nigeria to preach. And 10 men from their congregation were going to travel with him. Well, when they went through all the paperwork, ultimately, by the time it came for them to get on the airplane, the 10 men who were traveling with Pastor Mitchell had received their visas. But Pastor Mitchell had not received a visa. And in international travel, if you don't have a visa, you can get on an airplane. You just may not be able to enter the country. And so the whole way to Nigeria, they were praying because Pastor Robert said, I, I really feel like I need to go even though I don't have a visa. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I feel like I need to go. So they get on the plane and the whole way there, they're kind of praying, God, you got to figure this out. When they arrived, the 10 men that were traveling with them went on out. They deplaned first and they went on into the process of customs. Well, if you've been in international travel, you know that a customs process can be a little lengthy in that they check your, they check your passport, they check your visa. Uh, if, you, if the nation has health care requirements, they'll check your health cards to find out what you have there. Sometimes they'll go through your luggage, both checked and, and carry-on luggage, and, and see what you're bringing into the, to the country. Well, Nigeria was going through a difficult time as a nation at the moment, and so they, they were really checking everything pretty closely. 
The ten men begin the process of going through customs, and Pastor Mitchell, he deplanes, and as he's coming out of the gateway, a, a gentleman standing, is standing there in a full military uniform. And it caught his eye, two, uh, one, first because he was in a military uniform, two, because his, he was just immaculately dressed, and three, because the gentleman said, Pastor Robert Mitchell. And he thought, this is a really a short trip for me. I'm going to get back on that airplane. And he said, yes, yes, sir, I am. He said, follow me. And they, and they walked out of the gate area. They walked to where customs is. And then the, the, the gentleman led him all the way around the customs department to the other side. And in this entire process, not one person asked him for papers or identification of any kind. He stood there with him at the, at the other side of customs and waiting on the 10 men to come through customs. And the gentleman looked at him and said, if anybody stops you and asks you for papers while you're in the country, answer with two words, missionary, diplomat. And I'll, I'll be here waiting for you when you get back in 10 days to go home. The gentleman, uh, Pastor Mitchell said, okay. The gentleman walked away. The 10 guys that were traveling with him were completely shocked when they came out of customs and found him waiting for them because they knew they, they had left him, the guy without any papers, on the plane. So they, they get in their car and they begin to travel throughout the country. They, they travel to different villages and towns and, and they're preaching the gospel. Thousands of people are being saved. Some, each time, it's not infrequent that they get stopped throughout the time because, again, Nigeria is in a, a difficult time in its history. And so there are military checkpoints and some of the guerrillas have checkpoints and, and, and all kinds of people. And every time asked, uh, Pastor Robert Mitchell would say, missionary diplomat, and no further questions would be asked and they would be allowed to go through. They, they got to towns where the, the people in the towns would say, how did you get here? Nobody's able to cross that road. It's very dangerous. A few, over that week, thousands of people were saved. A few days before they were scheduled to go home, Pastor Robert was praying that morning and he just felt in his heart that it was right for them to go home early. And they didn't tell anybody, they just got in their car, finished up their business, but got in their car and drove to the airport. They were shocked when they walked into the airport and that same gentleman was waiting for them. He walked them to customs. The 10 men began their process through customs. He took Pastor Mitchell and they went around the customs department just like they had previously. And they walked down the long hallway that led to the international departures area. As they arrived at their gate, the gentleman said to Pastor Mitchell, there's your gate. He was apparently standing behind Pastor Mitchell. And he said to Pastor Mitchell, you serve a great big God. Pastor Mitchell turned to say, thank you for helping me, and the man was not there. You can draw your own conclusions, but thousands of people were saved that week in the nation of Nigeria, and I just believe that God said, the law, doesn't, doesn't, the law won't allow this, but I decree. Praise God. Praise God. The king of kings has all authority. And thought number three, the king cares about you. He cares about you. In your situation, what right do you have to approach one so powerful that he supersedes the law? 
The answer is none. You have no rights. You have no privileges. You have no ability to to come before one so powerful and say, this is what I want in my life and this is how I need it in my life and this is what I'm asking for. You and I, we had no rights, but he changed our privileges by adopting us as his children. In fact, Paul says it this way. You received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. The King of kings and Lord of lords is the one that you call Daddy. And as a child of God, you have the privilege to be able to ask anything of him. If you're a parent here today, you know that that your kids will ask anything of you at any time, expecting to receive it. They don't even think about it. The other day, Christy walked into our hallway and our front door. Remember the day that was eight degrees? Our front door was wide open. I want to just say you're welcome. Your day was a little warmer because we were heating Sylvania for you. And we text our kids, who left the door wide open? I don't mean it was unlocked. I mean it was open. And one of, our, one of the other people who live in our house who will remain unnamed, to their credit, took responsibility. It was me. I'm sorry, I didn't realize. And that's as much as they thought about it. You know what they're not thinking about? They're not wondering about how many hundreds of thousands of dollars the electric bill is going to be since that thing was just running and running and running and running and running. The heater, I know it won't be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Point is, he don't care. He's just asking. And that night he probably came home and said, hey, can we have like 4,000 pounds of pizza? Can we just order that right now? Hey, y'all want to go to Taco Bell? No, let's go to Mancy's. Yeah. Not worried about those numbers on that paper at all. Let's just, let's just. But why, so, so if, if God's our father and we call him daddy and we have the ability to ask him for anything because he's changed our relationship by adopting us, why then is it that everything I ask for doesn't happen? Why do I ask for certain things and, and some of them happen and some of them don't? It's like any parent-child or boss-employee relationship. Part of surrender is being willing to hear no when wanting a yes, but it certainly doesn't mean you stop asking. Pastor Ben preached a great sermon on surrender. Surrender means that I ask him and I'm willing to hear a no. But just because I hear a no on this today doesn't mean I stop asking him for it. How many times did I drive down the road when our kids were were younger and from the back, the chant began, McDonald's, 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 McDonald's. 
And I would say, no, McDonald's is not good for you. McDonald's is not a healthy meal. We're not going to McDonald's. And they would go, McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. And I would say, no, we're not, we don't have enough time. It's not going to work out. Ramsey says no. And they would say, McDonald's, McDonald's. And finally, I would say, I've had enough of this. If you don't, if I hear one more thing about McDonald's, I'm going to pull this car over. It got quiet because all of y'all have either said it or heard that. I'm going to pull this car over. And all that is great. But how many times out of the times that I said that, did I in fact, absolutely, yes, I pulled the car over right into the McDonald's parking lot. Because I knew the minute I pulled in there, they don't don't think it's going to happen. They don't think there's any chance in the world that's going to happen. But when I pull in there, they're going to go, yes, it's the best day ever. You're the best dad ever. You are awesome, dad. We love you so, 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 so much. And that's what I want to hear. And how much more is that true about my heavenly father who has all power and all authority in heaven and in earth? I have to be willing to hear a no. But I keep asking for the yes. And in fact, there's some decrees the believer could ask for with expectation. Mark chapter 16, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. It doesn't have a lot of of, uh, caveats there. It doesn't have a lot of things of it has to be this way or that way or this time or that time or or, or this, uh, this title or that title. It just says those who believe, they will cast out demons in my name. They will speak with new languages. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything, poisonous it won't hurt them they'll be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed and I know somebody's here thinking right now see Margaret I knew we got this Pentecostal dude in here and he's now he's talking about snakes I'm not talking about snakes we're reading from the Bible and are we actually handling snakes no I'm from Louisiana we shoot snakes that's what we do But he's saying stuff that should be hurting you isn't hurting you. Stuff that's supposed to take you down isn't taking you down. And everything in your life and and the enemy would say to you, you can't win this battle because you're fallen. You you, you sinned. You're going to die. And the fact is the law says he's right. The law says he's right. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. But maybe the best decree that's ever been decreed by God was decreed in uh, John chapter 3, verse number 16, where it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him, if you're part of an everyone, this applies to you, will not perish but have everlasting life. And suddenly, the worst case scenario becomes by decree the best case scenario for those who believe death which seems to be the end of all things is now eternal life that's why we can say death where is your sting death is still there death still exists 
We're still going to die unless Jesus comes first. But the sting of death is removed because when a believer dies, they just step from this life into eternal life with Christ. That's why we can say grave, praise God. That's why we can save grave, where is your victory? It's not that the grave has been removed and that natural law no longer, no longer applies and, and none of us will go to a grave. We still go from the funeral home to the cemetery, from the church to the cemetery. We still go to the grave, but it has no victory because it isn't the last say. So today, if you're a believer, death, hell, the grave, the enemy, your carnal nature will all say, you lose and you will die. But if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a child of God today, you can say, no, 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 no. I win. Not by my own authority, but I win by divine decree and there's nothing in this world more beautiful than that I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me if you would prayer partners come on forward I don't know what the Holy Spirit's talking to you about today but the Holy Spirit is in this room right now he's always wherever we gather because he's in you and he's in me The presence of the Lord is heavy in this room right now. I don't know what's going on in your world, but it really doesn't matter. You might say, well, hey, I've been asking for this to happen for a long time and I haven't seen it happen yet. Don't stop asking. Just like my kids, McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. I hope your desire is bigger than a Big Mac. But whatever it might be, don't stop asking. Your father loves you. If he's saying no, it's not because he's there to hurt you. Somehow it's for good. It might be a no, it may be a wait, and it may be a yes. And so in the name of Jesus, we pray right now for financial miracles to occur in lives, in businesses, in homes, Maybe we've even mismanaged something. We're not asking by natural law or human understanding. We're asking for a divine decree to say that will be the case. For healing, for deliverance, for salvation of souls, for provision. Father, we call upon you today our daddy make your decree on our behalf and we are forever grateful we are forever thankful we surrender to your will mighty God thank you that we have the privilege of being your children in Jesus name Amen and amen.